0: Hello everyone. We- welcome to well. Welcome to. Uh, this started well. <laughs> welcome to episode five. Hopefully, you'll become more knowledgeable uh, about the oh, God, the guard on this again. one. <laughs> I'm never gonna live that down with my to myself. the The fact that I had that word in my brain from last episode it it haunts me to this day. Yeah, it hunts
1: me to this day too.
0: I'll be on my deathbed, and one of my deepest regrets will be. Well, one, doing a podcast with you, and two, saying knowledger. Don't worry, in your eulogy,
1: I'll describe you as knowledger. <laughs> My tombstone should say that. Yeah. Andrew Desimone. Here lies.
0: Just say, most... j- say knowledger. That's it. Nothing else.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, gosh. All right, so before we start this episode, we have one thing one housekeeping item that we have to take care of and that is thank you to Grappling Dads for the shout out and just thank you for some of the guidance they've given us in in starting this this podcast we are friends with Kip and Paul who if you're listening to this podcast uh you probably you probably are familiar with Grappling Dads they're a really great jujitsu podcast out there great jujitsu podcast by two monsters and am- human being human beings yeah not good guys great podcast though yeah croiler is a frequent guest on there you do a segment on that show essentially i write for the show every you cr- week <laughs> <laughs> you create some content and then they uh they will use it for like a i don't know like 20 30 minute
1: no it's bit. like a whole hour. Of the hour and 20 of the show. Are you saying that you're the brains behind it? I, I'm not saying that. You're saying that. <laughs>
0: well, I am saying that if you're the brains behind it, they are truly the soul behind it and the, the beautiful smile.
1: Yeah. They,
0: front meant of it.
1: You know, uh, um, George from the Great Northeast podcast mm-hmm. had the best description for Kip and Paul. They are the faces. They have the face for a podcast. Oh, that's sweet. Isn't it? It is. And yeah. it's so true. Right. Oh man.
0: Well guys, Kip Kip and Paul, grappling dads, you're you're amazing. Thank you for just being around. We didn't we didn't give you a shout out until this episode because we wanted to wait until we were up to a certain standard where we can make you guys proud. You you can't really give a shout out to a bigger thing when you're new it'd be like a garage band saying like i want to give a shout out to the beatles right maybe not the beatles they're not the be- it'd be like a garage band giving a shout out to a slightly larger regional band yeah you can't you have to wait wait until you have a little bit of something to to give a right. shout out to them so right. guys here we are giving you the shout out and listen i hope that we made you proud we hope we hope we continue to make you proud did we make you proud daddy
1: oh my god <laughs> was that creepy that was that was horrible yes. oh God okay <laughs> all right well yeah well that's a
0: good way good way to transition to the episode <laughs> Well, today we're talking about guard. Guard. Are you familiar with guard? I think so. If not, let me just kind of explain it to you a little bit. Okay. Guard and jujitsu, it's like chocolate chips and chocolate chip cookies. You're nothing without it. Yeah, I
1: guess so. (laughs) That is a horrible metaphor, but yes, I guess so. What?
0: (laughs) I think that's I, I'm thinking through it. it it's. I,
1: I like that metaphor. I'm going to stick to it. You can use it for class or a seminar if you want. I, I will use it for a seminar. There you go. Next time I, I do a seminar, I'll, I'll, I'll use it. And I'm going to say it was from you. Yeah. I'll give you credit.
0: Or fine. It's, it's the flower
1: of the cookie.
0: It ties it together.
1: I, I guess that's slightly better, but that's not much better.
0: Okay, well, until you think a new one, that's what we're going to use. Okay, um, fair enough. Guard, it's one of the most distinctive things of jujitsu. jitsu When you see ground fighting and you see, as a new person, someone like, trap someone in their guard or control someone in their guard, as a new person you think, why did he do that? He's, that? That guy looks like he's losing now. Right. They don't understand that as soon as you bring someone into your guard you are usually in a advantageous position if you're very very new to jujitsu guard is simply the position where you are in your back you bring your opponent in between your legs and you lock at the ankles
1: yeah i mean that's how guard started basically was your legs around your opponent's hips and your feet crossed you know but um it's evolved so much and we'll go through. The evolution over time that, that now you can describe a guard as anytime you have an opponent's limbs or, or any part of their body really in between your legs and you can control. Okay,
0: now starting with the history of guard, we know that it is something that predates jiu jitsu. Yep, jiu jitsu, Brazilian jiu jitsu predates Brazilian, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. yeah, maybe Brazilian jiu jitsu made it so. Crucial and imp- an important aspect of the martial art. So that's the distinction.
1: But what was guard like before you get to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? So, you know, if you go back to Japanese Jiu-Jitsu before Judo, you know, you just have to go back to the roots. You understand how it evolved. Right. And like we've talked about on the show before, Japanese Jiu-Jitsu was an evolution due to. Um, did we, have, we, have we done the episode on the, on the history of Je- Japanese Jiu-Jitsu? Have we done that yet? Is it out?
0: no, yeah, because out, right? it was one of our pre episodes
1: oh, okay so. one of the one of the lost ones right yeah, yeah, okay, so you know when you when you go back to fighting styles in in ancient japan the the culmination of them became Jiu-Jitsu, right Japanese jiu Jitsu, and it was very heavily focused on grappling and you know based maneuvers because you can't strike somebody who's armored, and we've talked about this several times on the show. So, um, the the issue is, if we're grappling, how can we fight? And guard was there; it existed; it was not new, but it was very archaic. It, you know, if you're in a battlefield and somebody's on top of you, odds are you're gonna die. So it wasn't very the the emphasis was not on how to fight off your back, but it was to how to avoid getting there. and as the time goes on and Japanese jutsu slowly morphs into judo, judo had guard, you know, they had triangles, they had arm bars, they had all these other things. They had omoplata's, the But um, they didn't emphasize guard work because of the rule system and because of how the fight took place. So in judo, you know, if I toss you and you fall on your shoulders and it's a perfect toss, it's over. We, we've talked about that too. So the chances of you doing guard work were very slim. Editor's
0: note, we had some technical issues at this point, so for the rest of the episode, the audio is going to sound a little bit different. You may now resume standard programming.
1: So, you know, in judo, because of how the rules are set up, the, the opportunities to attack from the guard are very very slim because if there's level changes if there's loss of control if you're pinned if it's a perfect takedown all those things work against the guard because of just how the the, like the rules are put together so it's not that judo and Japanese jutsu didn't have a guard it's just they didn't spend the time there because they rather focus their energy on ensuring or fighting for a top dominant position fast forward to Brazil and to my grandfather being Small, frail, weak, and no matter how good he was at takedowns, and my my grandfather was pretty decent at them, he always ended up on his back because of the sheer physicality, you know, the the difference between him and the people he fought. So he said, he decided, you know, I don't know if it was a conscious thing or if it was an overtime. uh, he, he, He realized, hey, if I'm on my back all the time, and I'm getting launched here every time, I might as well fight from here because I'm gonna end up here anyways. It was kind of like you know, you know, do 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 with do what you can with what you have. So he he developed the guard, and I think that is the the biggest difference between Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, Gracie Jiu Jitsu, and any other style of grappling arts is the sheer focus it was it was given to fight and survive off of your back.
0: Were the other guys that um, were starting to use jujitsu in brazil i don't remember the names of
1: like the other prominent guy like father and others were they working on the guard i think they were i don't know that they necessarily put as much focus on it as as, as my grandfather did you know like we talked about how father had you know he he his lineage just spent a lot of time on leg locks and that was due to the difficulty of passing the guard so that was an influence already in the guard work you know those presented. And I think um, I think they all trained because they had to. They saw the value in it. It's hard to argue results, and I think my, my grandfather had plenty of results to his to his argument. You know of, of working from from the bottom. So yeah. So guard was essentially that was how do I fight off my back, and my my grandfather used his legs to control the opponent, to control distance, to con- you know, and then to attack from there. Controlling distance is key to controlling damage in a grappling um, scenario. Even in in fighting, if you can't control distance, you lose. So for him, having his closed guard was very energy efficient. You did not have to be an athlete to wrap your legs around somebody. But you could gain an incredible level of control and still launch attacks as if you would if you were on top. And he was working on exclusively closed guard, right?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What did he do when he'd have guys who were so large that he had a weak, or when I'm with guys who are big, most of the time I can at least close my guard, but you know the bigger the guy is, the weaker that
1: secure lock is. And 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 I think what his approach he had he has a quote he has a saying um, to me it's a brilliant saying he says every act of aggression from start to end has a point of weakness, and it's he said it was his job to find a weakness. And, and, you know, attack. So I think if the person was much bigger than he was and he was unable to close his guard, I think he played a much more defensive role looking for the clean opportunity for the clean shot, you know, instead of looking to be the aggressor the whole way through, he maybe, you know, handed the opponent the rope and let them hang themselves, so to speak. Sure.
0: Now, this episode, we're mainly going to focus on closed guard because... To get into all the other open oh, guards, it would we'll be here forever. I know we'll do in the future episodes on specific open guards, lasso, different ones. This one we'll just focus on closed. And so to look into kind of the concept, technique aspect of it, <laughs> what are some of the key elements to a that, that that you always focus on when you're teaching someone closed guard that you'll that they need to hit in order to be.
1: successful at it so if i'm if i'm teaching close guard the the first thing i focus on is not any specific submission or any specific sweep or anything like that it's it's simply how can i have an effective form of distance control and and an overall control of my opponent right remember in, in a close guard you're on your back your legs are wrapped around your opponent's hips he's on he's essentially you know above you on top of you and which means that every movement that you have to perform, you're fighting gravity and you're fighting an opponent who is benefiting from that gravity. So learning to make it mechanically, you know, disadvantageous for your opponent evens things up and learning to become mechanically advantageous benefits you. So how do we do that? And, and, and we talked about, I don't know if you were around when we started Close Guard, Um, it was a few years ago I mean you might have been around I I think towards the tail end of it yeah so we talked about how you know um, the the first thing is understanding the center line and and the center line concept is something that we talk about all the time in class right if you draw a line from the middle of your forehead down your nose all the way down through your groin that's your center line your opponent has theirs and give me a great idea for a tattoo go on do it center line Just Please, top just, of the head all it. the way to the groin if, if you do it like you don't ever have to pay for jiu-jitsu again I will teach you for free
0: <laughs> I'd be a great dummy so when you're talking about the center right. line Andrew come here you see this line I start to disrobe. no 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 we don't need to see yeah, the whole
1: line no, that's just, just, just right there yeah, yeah that's good enough you know we talked about how if we can move our opponent's limbs cross the center line they become weak we talk about how our limbs should not cross the center line we talked about um, the idea of attacking the center line, meaning if you know m- uh, controlling our opponent's limbs is not an option, crossing, you know, getting a grip across the opponent's center line and twisting their spine so that their spine crosses the center line, their body are twisted, they're weaker, they can't perform as well. Um, we talked also about the idea of. In guard, the most common mistake is people use their arms for everything, and, and and we talked about using our legs, right? Our legs can push, pull, twist to either side um, very easily, but people don't do that. People usually wrap their legs, the, the lower body is dead, and they just work with the upper body, but that's not the case. Your, your lower body needs to be as active, if not more active, than your upper body in closed guard. So what is the role, then, of the upper body? It's... Because clearly with guard, it's
0: like the hips, legs that do 99% of the... Is the top meant to kind of direct and
1: not control? So, um, you know, it depends who you talk to. There are people that use the lower body as a form of control and they attack with the upper body. And there are people that control with the upper body and attack with the lower body. And there's great arguments for one versus the other. I will say that I think you should do both. You should be able to attack with your upper and lower body from guard. You should be able to control with your upper and lower body. I think that's what makes you dangerous. Um, as far as 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 far as what roles your upper body plays versus the lower body, it depends on your attacking pattern. If you're looking for a Kimura from closed guard, your legs are going to be a controlling aspect where your arms are going to be a finishing aspect. That's where submissions submission is coming from. Versus, let's say, a triangle where you're controlling the opponent's positioning with your arms and attacking with your legs. It it depends on attacking pattern. It depends on your style and tempo. Of course, it depends also on what you're given.
0: Well, yeah, and as I'm thinking through just different sweeps from guard, there, there is a constant change. So I was thinking of these, like, one a sweep where I don't know exactly what you'd call it, but they're in your guard. You have like a cross collar grip. You would. Pull them forward, and then you kind of come yeah, under that's with nice your arm. sweep. You're, yeah, yeah, yeah your yeah, yeah. sweep, which yeah. for people listening would be um, awkward to explain. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's one where you're pulling the opponent kind of over you. You're getting under your hips underneath them. Right. Upper body comes over to- towards like your shoulder. Your hand shoots to underneath them to like their ankle, and you're switching from like a top control to now your legs are active. Right. And it's this synergy where you... Oh, hey, I can't believe I used that word. I hate that word. You... you're you, Just the mechanics are changing to the point where then you get the sweep. So, yeah, you can't really in that situation right. say what role the legs do, what role the right. arms do. They are
1: they are working together. Right. And, 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 and like I said, there are people that are very... Heavy sided one way or another, there are very successful. There are guys out there who are very upper body control guard, you know, players, who upper body attacking guard players, which are they can be very successful with it. And there are people that are very lower body, you know, focused. But the the really important key is to be able to do both transition from upper body attacks to lower body attacks, you know, transition from upper body control to lower body control. And and if you can do that, you become much more dangerous and much more versatile okay
0: another important part of guard or a useful way to use guard that I remember you showed me once was using or capitalizing on their momentum yes you can oftentimes use the I I I've had you do this I've had a lot of people do this and it's one of the most frustrating things when you're in someone's guard and let's say they'll tug pull you forward Mm -hmm. you start to then fight that and push back they then push you back Right. And it destabilizes you, and you overcorrect, and you fly back. Right. So, so there is this sensitivity and this back and forth where you're toying with momentum. Yeah,
1: we we you know, and um, when when we were talking about closed guard at the school, we we mentioned, you know, center line control. We talked about upper and lower body controls. We talked about attacking the center line. So we cross the opponent's center line and throw their spine off of center, so it doesn't it doesn't perform as well. But we also talked about the idea of, you're right, of like the momentum of overcorrection. And I think I explained like the the kindergarten, you know, idea. So like when you are a little kid and some kid pushes you, right? What's the instant response? I'm going to push him back. And if you push them back and they pull you, <laughs> then you fall, right? So. In guard, there is a lot of that where we push somebody or we pull somebody or we tug on something so that when we get the opposite opposite reaction, we can take advantage of that. We can either ride that wave or set something up off of it. Um, and it's a very efficient form of um, manipulation.
0: What is your guard game? How has it evolved? Did you always enjoy? Because now I think guard is probably... Oh, one of your favorite. Yes. ways of rolling. Was it always that way?
1: No, no, I hated it. <laughs> um, you know, I'm a big dude, but I'm, I'm physically weak. And um, I, I remember all the way up through blue, anytime I ended up on my back, just hating it, you know, because I'm the big guy who is weak, who cannot get off his back. And then you get somebody much smaller than me who just got there and now I'm like okay I got nothing and I remember as a blue belt getting my first armbar from guard because I I don't know why that day when I put an opponent in my guard I don't remember who it was even I just remember thinking just throw an armbar just do it just do it just throw the armbar and I threw the shittiest armbar probably anyone has ever seen and it was sloppy and weak and horrible but i got a tap out of it and i remember it was like in the movies when the light you know sunlight shines down and there's doves fluttering in the background and you know there's the the you know Choir, like oh, you know it was... your ancestors. You saw like the
0: ghost of, you saw like Obi Wan Kenobi yes. and like Yoda's ghost. Yeah, they're all, all
1: clapping. Like, yeah, yeah right, exactly. That's exactly how I felt. It was incredible, and I was on such a high from that that I tried repeating that outcome every time for the next several days, and I failed every time. And um I decided that I wanted that feeling again. And I kept trying and trying and trying and then, you know, I became better at it, became more successful. And then by the time I was a purple belt, my guard was annoying enough and that I was threatening Browns and Blacks, so successful against Browns and Blacks, it became my sole focus and it was solely to due to the desire to have that high I got from that armbar, that shitty armbar as a blue belt. Mm-hmm. So the the difference in, in how my guard evolved was it became a place so that I didn't lose to a place where I wanted a desirable outcome to, by the time I was a purple belt, I was taking the machine gun approach of, I want to throw every submission and every sweep known to man, and I'm going to throw them at a very fast pace. I don't care if they're set up well. I don't care if they're done well. I just, I'm going to throw everything and something's going to hit home and something's going to work. And that was very, very efficient for a while. I'm actually going to rephrase that. It was not efficient. It was very successful because I could oftentimes overwhelm my my train partners with a number of rapid fire attacks. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was physically taxing to do that. Um, it, if it failed, it would fail horribly. If um, somebody was good and patient, they would beat me. Um, this was roughly around the same time that um, I started training with Marcia Stambowski, who was a very gigantic influence in my, in my guard style. Um, so much so that by the time I was a Brown Belt, I was no longer taking the machine gun wild approach to attacking guard and it became much more focused much more like a sniper style approach I would set up my attacks I would pick my shots I became very successful, very efficient because I didn't spend as much energy to get the desired outcome and I could do that with much better people now because I wasn't just randomly throwing out attacks
0: It's weird with you because you're so comfortable in guard as a big guy that most of the time when a lot of times when you roll with a larger person, you think, if I can just get them on their back, that's an area they're not as comfortable in. So I'll, right. I'll have an upper leg there. But one of your strengths is, as you said before, you kind of roll like a small guy. Right. If someone does get you to your back, they think, okay, well, at least here I'm in...
1: Like, th- right. I'm in my territory. That's unfortunately not true. <laughs> right. Most big guys are turtles, right? You put them on their right. back, and they're kind of stuck there. Um. Yeah, no, I, I. in fact, for me, it was harder developing an efficient top game than it was an efficient bottom game. I became. It was much easier for me to become good at the bottom than it was to become good on top. Like, I had a harder time doing that mm-hmm. uh, throughout, throughout my, my journey, so to speak.
0: Did you spend, once you got comfortable with guard, did you spend so much time there that you ever became like too comfortable and then you had to become familiar with the, not familiar with, but you had to stop relying on your guard so much and start being the like aggressor and be on top? Oh, absolutely. Okay, because that's, as we've discussed before, Yeah, that's kind of where I am right now, where I have gotten very comfortable with Guard, close guard, but mostly open guard. Right, that'll be my default. Where I just will coast there. I can be as efficient there as I need to be, and then sometimes just almost get kind of lazy. Right, and then you've you you mentioned like, hey, I want to see you start moving. I want to see you start to be the aggressor. Right, that's that's something where um, I think it's it's easy to do with guard because it's a great energy manager if you if you just need to pull someone close and just take a second how
1: did you get out of that kind of that rut of just doing what was easy well it came it came by a number of different factors and I think it was a combination of them that, that kind of did it one was um, going to train with Marcio and, and he basically I was hoping to learn guard work from him because he is like the guard master right and my very first year training with him we, we did top stuff because he said my bottom game was good enough, but my top game was garbage. And that was an indicator of where I was lacking, right? That I didn't see it because I was never on top. I never wanted to be on top. I could just be comfortable on bottom and get the submissions I wanted. The, the second indicator was um, Howe, um, training with Howe. He, um, for those of you that don't know, Howe is one of my main training partners, um, he's a black butt of my school. He became very frustrated because he was you know he's he was a wrestler forever and he's good at jujitsu. but i would put him in my close guard and he just he just couldn't pass like and and he he was like man this is is a boring way to roll if every time we roll anytime i'm I'm getting a little bit ahead of you put me in my guard in your garden i can't pass like this is just stupid like there's nothing like we're not getting any better and it was out of frustration that i was like okay well i kind of suck in any other guard <laughs> and he's like well tough what are you gonna do about it right and and basically it forced me to work on different guards like half and butterfly and la- i mean you name it you know what i mean like we kind of went through a whole cycle and we spent years i mean a solid nine nine years ten years on developing every other position from close guard to half to spider to side mount to north and south to neon belly like we kind of experimented with every position and developed a game in every position so that was another influence and then the the other influence was at the time I was competing a lot and if I could not submit my, my all my losses okay I've only had a few losses in competition all my losses came from Points From people either getting a takedown and stalling out in my guard, you know, they would just not engage, which makes it hard to, to do something, or um, by a referee's decision. And you know, if you're in the bottom in a tournament, odds are you're not going to win that fight if all things are even. So those three things became influences on fight for the top, get to the top, develop other things, get, you know, be the aggressor, impose your will on them and then should everything fail should you be incapable to do so should you end up in the bottom then you're in your comfort zone anyways right and and then it goes and that benefited me greatly since then because it's like you said I'm the big guy who if I get on top I am a big dude on top right but if I go to the bottom I'm perfectly happy with that too and that makes it that makes me like a very difficult you know puzzle to solve if you think of it's like the it's like the the little guy, who is you know by default very good on bottom, so you pull guard on that little guy, but you what you don't know is that little guy is an incredible pressure presser and he crushes the life out of you. You know, like that's the worst feeling in the world is when you try to take somebody out of their game, and they're good at that too. You Have know?
0: you had little guys who are? Like high pressure before? Oh yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it's possible. um You can definitely do it. like Nino. Nino isn't little, man. He's like 175. Little to me, mm-hmm. but you know, the dude has some unworld, you know, otherworldly like level of pressure. And when I trained with Nino, I trained with him for about a month and a half, two months. We were Nino. training Shimbri, you know, okay. yeah. And we, um you know, I did a ton of privates with him. I, I grappled with him pretty much a couple hours a day for those two months, and it was an experience because, like, I know Nino was another guy who was an incredible guard player, particularly open guard, and I, uh, I thought, you know, I remember the first few times rolling with him, like, I'm going to pull guard on Nino because he's a guard guy, so if he's in my guard, I'm in my happy place, but he's not. You know, mm-hmm. this is going to give me an edge. Oh, <laughs> right. you're ahead of the game. You're right? smarting him, right? That's right. Right. Before we even touched hands, right? I thought that's, that's what's happening. The dude has like some godforsaken amount of that's... athleticism and he can deliver so much pressure. And every time you, you start to beat his position to where he's applying pressure on you, he just, you know, transitions to another position where he crushes you. And then you decide to react to that. Then he goes somewhere else. He basically just crushed me to death as a guy, you know, 50, 60 pounds lighter than I am. And, uh, you know, it was it was eye-opening. He essentially was my the inverse of me, right, where I was the big guy who liked to be in the bottom. He was the little guy who was not only good in bottom, but he was very good on top, too. Right. So who comes to mind when you think of icons of closed guard? Oh, man. So if we start from the beginning, you know, obviously... Carlos and Ilya Gracie. Um, as you move up, you see guys like Marcio come up. You see guys like Margarita and Holita come up. You keep moving further and further north.
0: Did those guys you <clears throat> you mentioned were they just solid closed guard guys? Did they bring new things to closed guard?
1: Oh, absolutely, you know. So if we if we if we establish close guard as a dominant position being developed by my grandfather, right? Then from that point forward, we're building on how do we attack? So you have guys like Marcio who were pioneers in triangles. Um, You know, nobody would do triangles today like we do them today if it wasn't for Marcio. You know, he was the first guy to make that a constant, viable source of submissions and threats. Um, then you move further north, and you get into, like, Margarita. You get into Julita, who were guys that were um, very good about attacking from different angles. At the time, positions that were not common. Um, so they were being very innovative with their close guards, just like Marcio was with his triangles and different armbar setups and things like that. Um, you know, Marcio created, like, the Hound sweep, you know, which is an iconic sweep. And then you move further north, like I said, Margarita, Jolita. You keep moving further and further north. You get into guys like Comprito, guys like Nino Chambry. Um, you, you keep transitioning, you know, for, like Comprito was another guy who was very, very um, dominant with his bottom game. Nino was obviously known as a guard guy. Um, as we transition now, we're like in the mid 90s. Um, and then we get into you know, um, Cabrinha, Marcelo Garcia, Krohn, um, and then, of course, Haja Gracie, who did an uh, arm brush from guard an entire year at the World you know, Tournament yeah, like and, and just dominated because he could, you know. So um, there's some some huge guys like Shanja Giojibedo is a great guard guy. You, you know, there, there are so many closed guard guys that are incredible, and they've all added something to the game, but I think that we need to understand that as the generations go up, it's easy to lose appreciation for the people before us. If I say, hey, to any, I, go, I walk into any school, I take any blue belt and say, hey, show me a triangle from guard, mm-hmm. that wouldn't be possible without Marcio, right? If I say, hey, show me uh, you an know, uh, inverted sweep from close guard, that's like a holita and margarita style attack, right? And then you, you move further north and you get into, like, show me you know, the funk. You know, and and start sweeping. When you say further north. What do you mean? Like in time. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like you know, you get guys like Shanji who do the funk all the time, who are great armbar guys. Um, you get Haja Gracie. You
0: might need to explain the funk to people. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. It's what is it exactly? Not so, you don't have to like explain so, it exactly, so, but just a general so, idea.
1: So so funk it comes. It's a wrestling based technique where you're essentially bringing yourself through an opponent's um, groin and leg, or you bringing their groin leg over you, and you basically come up through their back. Is the opponent... do they have to be in a standing position? They can be standing, they can be on their knees, they can be just about anywhere. It's a very, very powerful position. Ben Askram is very, very um, popular for using it. Um, in in Gi Jiu-Jitsu, Shanji does it all the time because he likes his arm bars, and when the arm bars fail, to not give up points, he rolls to turtle, and then he hits the funk off of turtle to get up. So um,
0: so if they wanted to see exactly what that is, they yeah. could Google.
1: Yeah, look up Shanji um matches or highlights, and then look up anytime he does arm bars from close guard. Should they fail, he generally will turtle, and then push himself through the opponent's legs and then get up from the back and get a takedown off of it usually. So is it used purely as a is plan B Yeah, I think it's a one two combo. Okay. Right? I either get an arm bar or I almost take your back and get two points. <laughs> okay. It's a it's a it's a very powerful combo. He's very successful, it's very aggressive, very, very very good timing with it. Um, you know, you get guys like Cabrinha who are incredible um, guard guys but one person that i have not mentioned that is pivotal to the evolution of guard is um holes gracie right so in the 70s holes asked the same question you asked me at the beginning of the podcast how do i a much smaller guy deal with uh, with an opponent that is so big that closing my legs is uncomfortable or is not, a, is not a thing, it is impossible, right? He was the first person to ask himself that question. And unlike my grandfather, who said, at some point during this person's attack, there is an opening for me to take it, and I need to watch out for it, he took the approach of, I will be the aggressor and I will oppose my will, so how can I do that if I can't close my guard? And he was a guy that took close guard and said there's a world of possibilities with open guard so he was the pioneer the original pioneer for open guard was holes so in guard history you can say that there was you know pre-elior gracie guard post-elior gracie guard and then you had guard before holes and after holes and everybody Post-Holes had an open-guard game that was very effective. Marcio Stambowski had an open-guard game that was effective. Guys like Margarita and Holita had an open-guard game. Nino had an open-guard game. You look at Cabrinha, Marcelo Garcia, uh, all these guys played open-guard, and um, that was due to Holes. So, And it's not that those guys aren't good at closed-guard, it's simply that they adopted Holes' mentality of sometimes it's easier with an open-guard.
0: Yeah, we'll spend a lot of time oh, yeah. on holes when we start to get into episodes about, yeah, any open guard, because as you said, there's you can't
1: talk about that without talking about him. Right, yeah, that's a whole episode on its own. But, um, yeah, so... For about g- guys, today, open
0: guard is, I mean, it's so prevalent. Who do you see doing closed guard
1: really well and making that like a centerpiece of their game? It's becoming a lost art, truly. Like, it's it's really hard to see somebody today with a very solid, very aggressive, very successful, being the other keyword, um, with closed guard. Why do you think not as many people are successful? Is it because... Hey, what, what, what's the reason for that? Because there's a bunch of crappy instructors out there. <laughs> no, no, I'll joke aside. Um, it's because you, you talk about trends. If you If you think about it, up until the 90s, the trend was close guard like that's the way to go that's how you're going to win because that's how you'd fight in a real situation and then we start opening our guard and accepting open guard as a thing so the person trying to pass the close guard had to become very efficient at close guard once that occurred the shift to well he's going to pass my guard anyways i need to develop a half or an open or whatever guard and then the person trying to pass now has to become very effective at passing those styles, right? But these things don't happen in months. These things happen over, you know, two to five-year spans. So if you have somebody that started, let's say, in 2000, he may be a very much a open guard guy because his instructor was teaching what the trend was at the time, right? And if the trend has never cycled back through close guard, The people that are learning close guard are learning from old videos. They're kind of experimenting on their own or they're getting very poor, you know, instruction because that's not the focus of the school. To further that, it's been so long since close guard has been a dominant force in competition jiu-jitsu that a lot of the instructors teaching today... May not be good at close guard themselves, and I think it's becoming a lost art. It will come back. It will come back when the people passing open guard have become so effective with it that all the styles of open guard out there are, are losing its power. Somebody's gonna say, you know what? I'm just gonna close my legs around their body, and they're gonna have to deal with this. And then you'll see that trend repeat again.
0: Well, we're coming up t- towards the end. Is th- are there any? anything that you would tell someone to go over repeatedly to make sure you have just a couple things down we talked about crossing the center line we talked about uh grips we talked about posture what are ways to just make sure you're
1: doing that doing keeping those things in check troubleshooting Mm -hmm. without without being present and seeing somebody and kind of walking them through it and watching them if you are to self to be to be if you're to be like a, a self-taught or autodact um maybe focus on troubleshooting think of it i'm an iron bar from guard and and just do that for a week do it drill it practice it then try to do it on live rolls try it on my belts see if you're successful if you are then wonderful move on to the blue belts and and if you're not with the blue belts why not what are they doing? Are they doing something so different than the white belts that you cannot do, or is your technique just weak and the blue belts are exploiting it? And then try to patch that hole. That's the easiest way to, tr- to, to fix guard without me being present. But um, definitely look for trends when your guys are attacking from close guard. Usually, the, the big mistakes are going to be posture control, center line control. And the inactivity of the b- lower body, you know, your legs are there. Use them, pull, push, twist, turn, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but there, I don't think that there is a solo drill that you can do for for a close guard or anything like that. One of the things I used to do that I did it by myself, and that was to develop endurance. Was I used to take a heavy bag and put a guard around the heavy bag, and then just keep the entire heavy bag off the off the ground with my legs, and that would be. It'd be a vicious ab workout. It's actually not so much the abs that hurt. Yes, it is an ab is it workout. the hip flexors? Not even the hip flexors. It's, uh, uh, I forget the name of the muscle. It's the muscle that covers your, um, your shin bone, your, your tibia.
0: Oh, I can see that too. Yeah,
1: and and if if you ever want to see like a rock solid muscle, sheet of muscle there, like mine are like solid. Yo, man, come <laughs> check out my tibia muscle. Yeah, do you want to touch it? <laughs> You guys, I'm touching it right now. Oh, God, no, he's not.
0: <laughs> wow, it's incredible.
1: Wow. No, so, and, and that'll do... Because usually, if you're developing your clothes guard and you haven't done a lot of it, you know, it's one thing to do five minutes. It's another thing to do, like, half an hour, rolling five-minute rounds, where you're just in clothes guard. What you're going to feel is it's going to be very hard to lift your feet. Like, your feet are going to be dead. And you'll feel it, like maybe that same day but definitely driving home that night like taking your foot off the gas you'll feel it then what's a muscle
0: that you never think about no no it's one of those workouts where you just discover something about your body you go oh hello muscle i didn't know that you were there (laughs) right you exist (laughs) you're screaming at me now right (laughs) Uh, all right well that's this episode um I'm not I won't do a, would you rather, you didn't play a, a ho- along with the whole Disney princess thing. Although did you, did you research it? I shouldn't assume. <sighs> no, I did not research okay, it. Okay. <laughs> I should have assumed. Well, um, what's your weirdest jujitsu dream you've ever had?
1: You know, I, I had a, you know, in error like I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a sleepwalker by any means. I'm not somebody who, I don't even move around when I, when I sleep, a lot. I just I'm kind of dead to the world. I just close my eyes and I wake up in the same position usually. Mm-hmm. I woke up. I should you not. One time I woke myself up because my hips were coming down. I was arm barring somebody in my dream. <laughs> so my hips and legs were completely off. The only thing in my bed was my shoulders. And I woke myself as my hips hit the ground and I it, the momentum pulled my upper body up and it woke me up. <laughs>
0: were, were you alone in bed?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's if Taylor
0: would have been in bed <laughs> with you, you, probably would have the weight probably would have shot her like right, five feet into right, the air. Right, exactly. <laughs> Do you ever yeah. have the dream, the common dream that most people have the dream they show up to work naked or mm-hmm. without their pants? You ever have the dream you show up to the gym naked or without your pants? No. That's no? The, no?
1: Nothing like that? No, I've never had that. but yeah. I've had plenty of dreams where I'm executing techniques like in my dream and then I'm actually doing them. Like, in bed.
0: You wake up and you're doing it. Yes, that. yeah. You've never had a naked dream? No. I feel, I know I'm not the only one. I had a dream once when I worked at a, um, in college, when I worked at a restaurant in town, I had a dream that I woke, uh, I had a dream I was, I don't know why, I was like 10 minutes from work, I didn't have a car, but I, <laughs> I had rollerblades, and. And you're naked. And I was not completely naked. I had, a, <laughs> I had a towel around my waist and I had to get to work uh, rollerblading
1: with just a bath towel on. Wow. I, I literally have never had that dream <laughs> or anything of the such. You know what? I
0: hope that this implanted something in your mind and you have a bunch of weird naked dreams about being at jujitsu. Yeah, I, I hope not. No. That would be very awkward. Well, let, we're just going to end this episode with me just caressing tippy tibia muscle. Oh, Jesus Christ. All right. I'm out. Wow, it's so <laughs> smooth. He shaves his legs. It's weird. I really don't. Wow. All right. <laughs> we'll see you guys next week.